I think you have to always think about the experience of the guests from a different lens. Treat others how you want to be treated. And then I think empowerment is huge. So knowledge is power and empowering your employees is valuable. Like they don't need to know nuances, but they need to know enough to feel confident in facing the guest. But in a small little tiny package of wonderment, I just say golden rule and just treat others how you want to be treated. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Guest Experience Show, brought to you by Roller, the modern all-in-one venue management software for the leisure and attractions industry. I'm your host, Josh Liebman, and on this show, I'll be speaking with thought leaders in the global attractions industry about all things guest experience. We'll talk about industry trends, technology, removing friction, and how to grow your business by focusing on all aspects of guest experience, including the best ways to attract and engage new guests, delivering a remarkable experience, and building repeat visitors and advocates to your business. Elise Sklover is the Senior Events Manager for Roller, having joined the team in early 2023. In this interview, Elise shares lessons learned over the course of her career as she has seen the industry from the lens of an operator, supplier, and association. When asked about changes seen throughout the industry, Elise states that some of the biggest shifts are due to behavior changes within guests and employees alike, prompting operators to put a stronger emphasis on the employee experience. Naturally, this led to a discussion on employee culture and ensuring that employees are treated as humans, not just simply filling a need for the business. And lastly, when asked about friction in the guest experience, Elise talked about inconsistencies and expectations that lead to the need for guest recovery and resolution. Now, please enjoy this interview with Elise Sklover. Hey, Elise, welcome to the Guest Experience Show. I'm so excited to have you on today and really excited for our chat. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. It's good to see you, Josh. Likewise, absolutely. So Elise, I know you and I have known each other for a number of years, but for those who are out there who's watching, who's listening to this, tell us a little bit about your background in the industry uh, from the beginning, leading all the way to your role today with Roller. Yeah, so... I mean, if I really went to the beginning, beginning, it'd be, you know, seven years old and wanting to be the person who colored in the cartoons for Disney. But um, I think as it evolved into intellectual career moves, I I started just as an hourly person at Magic Kingdom when I was a teenager living in Orlando. Uh, I knew that getting training from an organization like Disney would be something that would be really great setup for career long term, whether I stayed with Disney or not. And I was right. <laughs> a lot of lessons learned and a lot of experiences that I got to be exposed to that I think have molded the way that I still behave to this day. Um, and then I I broke away from it for a little while and, and I ended up in music and working in different fields in marketing and events and just branding, et cetera. And then I found my way back in 2015 with Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex, which is the guest uh, experience out at Cape Canaveral. And I was there for five years doing marketing events, education events, uh, all kinds of stuff and adventures abound as you can imagine. And then um, I got the opportunity to work with IAPA and I was there for a couple of years and primarily through the pandemic, which is like always a very interesting thing. You know, I only got about 
six months or so at IAPA before the pandemic started. So I, I got to be there, you know, feet to the fire in a very big way. And I spent um, about three years there and I was I was in charge of uh, the FEC constituency pretty much as a whole. So I was in charge of the content and the committees and all that kind of stuff. And um, and then when my husband got a great opportunity to move, I was kind of left in this position where I, I had to look for another opportunity and had some some opportunities in front of me. And then here I am at Roller. And I feel like getting to have um, a decent amount of time as an operator, you know, for those years as a youngin, and then my time at Kennedy and all my other experiences combined. And then at IAPA, I was able to be this like holistic person. And then here I am. So I can kind of see it from multiple angles, but yeah, for, I'm just keep coming back to it is really what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So one of the earliest memories that I have of my life, like this is like one of the first things I just remember was visiting Kennedy Space Center. I was two years old, two, maybe like a little, little over two, definitely under three. And I was there. And when my parents recall the story, they tell me that I was just an absolute wreck the entire day. Like I was so, <laughs> I was like bawling. I was like screaming. Uh, and, I, and I couldn't really like communicate to them why, but I remember why. And I couldn't tell them like until I was an adult when we talked about it. And yeah. They're like, yeah, we don't know why you were so fussy that day. And I said, I distinctly remember thinking we were going to space and I was terrified. I, I thought we were going to space. Yeah. So that was, that's the, like, one of the, like, probably like one of the first, like three or four, like actual, like solidified yeah. of, of my life. Thankfully I've been back. I've had a more positive experience as, you know, as an yeah. adult, knowing I was just going to the visitor complex. But when you said it was the guest experience side of it, I thought, well, not everyone knows that, you know, not, not yeah. top yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, actually, I would say that the biggest struggle working there, um, and and whether you were, you know, an hourly person or whether you were the COO of the park, you had to do time in do time. You had to do time in the park, and you spent time serving the guests directly. So, no matter what your position was, we had multiple times a year um, for big launches, large events where you were in the park. So I became like a master of the popcorn machine at the IMAX theater. And, you know, we had all these different roles. So you got to experience that. And one of the things that when we came to building out projects, which your story kind of hits like close to home, because we always had to think about that because we, as that park evolved and they've continued to add these like immersive experiences for people, they've had to really train the employees in a different way to explain to them like, all right, suspension of disbelief. Like we want them to feel like they're going to space. We want them to think that that rocket over there and when they stomp on the ground that they're actually powering a rocket, but you're gonna get a kid or maybe an adult, um, a lot of adults that don't know that it's fake. Like they think it might be real. Like they'll look at a rocket in the rocket garden and say, oh, is that the one that's launching today? And you're like, no. So um, I think if, of all my experiences of dealing with guest recovery and all that kind of stuff, Kennedy was a very unique one because you're dealing with real science um, and something that's like very under understood, it, it like not understood yeah. as much as it could or should be. Like people go to Disney and know that there's a lot of make-believe and stuff, but you go to, you go there and you're like, these are my tax dollars. And this is my, you know, you have this very, 
different kind of perception and everybody knows rockets go to space, but they don't really understand everything behind it for the most part. So that was always fun <laughs> on a regular I basis. I also think it's fascinating that, that you're referring to it as a park and kind of, you know, you, you worked for Disney prior to that. And then from, from an operational standpoint, definitely a lot of similarities, but that's also probably something that people don't necessarily think of, uh, probably falls more into a museum category, science museum, history museum, like yeah. a, a little bit of all of that, but yeah. operationally guest experience side, it, it fits in more like a theme park. Yeah, that was actually, I probably... I would say that a good chunk of our brainstorming time as a marketing and branding department and as a, as a organization as a whole was spent like deliberating, are we a science center, a museum, a theme park and attraction like that. And, and ultimately the answer really fell into everything, right? So operationally and guest service wise, it should have been approached and, and is approached as a park. Um, content wise, like the meat of the content, it's, you know, a museum and a science center, but like the experience wise, it goes back to that theme park attraction. So, um, if that makes any sense, it really was all of them marketing. That was a, a bit of a, a challenge, but the reality of it is, is that, um, the biggest problem that we, that was always found there was people never gave it enough time. So like they would get there at two o'clock in the afternoon and think they were only going to spend four hours and then go, man, I could have spent two days, two days here. So um, that was probably the most challenging thing as far as marketing was concerned, which yeah. to me is not the worst problem in the world. So True. yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm sure we could probably go even further in depth just with, with your time with Kennedy, but even yeah, for sure. I, branching out, just kind of looking at just with, with your time in the industry, both being on the operator side and the association side and the supplier side, you're, you kind of have the, like the, the trifecta of the, of the lens of the industry. I yeah. uh, would love to know as far as like what you've seen, as far as how the industry has evolved and perhaps, you know, significant changes you've noticed uh, in, in the business over the last several years. Yeah, I think, um, a lot of times from our perspective, uh, content wise and, and our, you know, now that I've spent the last, <clears throat> you know, chunk of time more on the, um, on the supplier and association side, we focus a lot on <clears throat> the behavioral changes of the guest. <clears throat> and I think, and, and the behavioral changes of the staff, but I think there are also a lot of changes in the way that we lead and grow and develop. And I think as a whole, we, people value their time and their experiences in a big way. And same thing with even employees. So not only have I seen a trend towards enhancing the guest experience, but I've even seen this huge enhancement in the employee experience. And I think there's like a great value in that. Um, I think people are more forgiving and less forgiving at the same time. I think we are seeing, you know, just this idea of people wanting to enjoy themselves more. So this growth is continuing. And I think as an industry for the last, you know, even pre-pandemic when things were just booming, um, I feel like we've been kind of almost waiting for this other shoe to drop in the sense that like, 
it keeps growing and people keep coming and we're like, is this going to keep happening? And I think it will really, because I think, I think people value time with their friends and their family. And, you know, even when it comes to like courting a client, they'd rather go and do something that like brings people together. So I'm finding some of these like elevated experiences are there. I think people are diversifying. I think people are just thinking about how they spend and what they spend on in their business in a different way. Um, And I think people want to be immersed in things. So I think it's just, everything's leveling up, but um, I think the biggest trend would really be just growth. And I just don't, I think every time I think we've hit a ceiling, I think we find a different way for it to grow. And some of it's lateral, but I think there's constant want to improve more education, more camaraderie. Um, so I've just seen that build over the, the last, what, you know, 10 years or so really. Yeah. I, I think you make some really good points. I, and just to, to touch on one of them, they focus on the employee experience in addition to the mm-hmm. guest experience. Uh, it, it's always been important. Like it's never like it's never been ignored. It's always been a, a strong focus. And then I think just in the last few years, just with the pandemic, it is just uh, it, it completely changed the way we need to think about our employees because yeah. when everything shut down, like everyone was either like laid off or furloughed. So it was almost, it was almost like the struggle of like, how can we show that we keep caring about our employees, even though we, you know, we can't do business now. And then just the massive shift that 2021 brought that now wages, you know, our, our demand for wages are going way up. The talent pool is scarce. And now there's this realization of there are so many other equally uh or equal skilled jobs that they could do where they have more flexibility of of driving for uber delivering for doordash things like that those are the people that our industry has hired to to operate the front line to be the you know the the labor pool that we need um and in some ways reflecting back it's almost like it's almost like the industry and and all service industry sort of took that for granted we're going to have these you know, these labor pools of these people who are, whether they're coming out of high school, coming out of college, whether they're, uh, whether they're going to college, not going to college, whatever it is, we're always going to be able to fill the front line. And now it's like, well, you know what, it's, it's hot out, you know, I have to be on my feet all day long, you know, I can't really control my schedule, I have to work nights, I have to work weekends, now they can make just as much, if not more money, uh, doing something, you know, doing something else, where they're able to, to kind of just have, have more of that control. So uh, that leading to uh, the industry saying we need to focus heavily on the employee experience to say, yeah, you know, yes, we're going to pay you adequately, but also the experience of coming to work here is going to be far more fulfilling, far more engaging than any of these alternatives that that you can have. So, kind of looking at it as, as yeah, you compete for the guest experience with other businesses and other ways to spend your time and money. You complete, you compete for the employee experience. Uh, at the same token of other things that they can do. Yeah, and I think I think there's something to be said about you know I've seen you know technology has just grown. Obviously we we have seen it just massively take charge in so many ways and it builds efficiencies and it builds so many different things. So I am pro technology obviously, but <laughs> I also think there's this value in getting back to the analog in some things and you know, I've seen businesses say, you know what, maybe a bake sale is what our employees want. 
Like maybe, <laughs> maybe just having an ice cream social on a Wednesday, if your employees come into the office, like I know they're all the jokes that we all make about like, you know, employees are unhappy and then, you know, HR high fives you with a pizza party, but right. <laughs> you know, at the same time, I don't think that means we abandon those things. I think, you know, enhancing that experience and bringing that camaraderie is so valuable. Like when I, if I can jump into some of my roller stuff, but when I tell people that, you know, working at roller within a couple of weeks, I felt like, I felt like people knew who I was as a person at roller, even people I don't interact with on, on our team, um, know who I am more than like people that I spend time with because I was able to introduce myself and tell people things about myself and have social channels and things of that sort. So I do think that as an employee being seen as a human, especially when you know that like a third of your life essentially is given to your work. um, It's, I think that's super important because it, it makes you feel more of a part of it and more invested in it, even on the hourly side to have that, to be, you know, a park person or something to feel seen is so huge. And I know working at Disney as a 16 year old, it, my managers, which manager was on that day did have a direct impact on how I approached my day Yeah, because they all were, you know, in, in my area at magic kingdom, I had, there were three main managers and two of the three were like textbook Disney. I mean, they were like, they were outrageous how over the top they were with everything. And then the other one was just like grumpy all the time. And I'll never forget how. Which is still Disney grumpy. You know? Yeah. I was going to say yeah. grumpy, but not in like the cool, cute yeah. elf way or, uh, you know, wharf way, but he, depending on who was on, I'll never forget. Like I would, I felt comfortable going to two of them if there was a challenge or a difficult customer and the other ones, you know, it just shapes the way you, you operate. And I think people are paying closer attention to the human element. And that's why I think technology is funny because as we, as we automate so many things, I think we're caring a little bit more about the human element in some ways. And I think that's important for sure. Yeah, and technology should be the the vehicle to be able to help amplify that. Whether we're talking about uh, you know venues and attractions doing that for their guest experience, or the example of of you gave of a rollers culture of wanting to you know we, we want people to know each other as human yeah. beings, not just here's an employee with this title, this is this is your job, this is your role. And I think that that you know right there is is a great lesson that uh, you know that that attraction operators can look at in terms of saying, hey, we're we're hiring this team of people, but we want to get to know you. We want to bring you in because you're a human being, not filling a role that we need to check the box and say, mm-hmm. all right, this person, they're they're the court monitor at the trampoline park. Boom. They're standing on the box. They're, you know, they're watching the kids jump and and that's it. And it's like, no, yeah. that's that's a human being who might yeah. have a dog, might have, you know, hobbies outside of work, like be able to engage that. Yeah. That helps to amplify the employee experience, which then spills over and has a direct impact on the guest. Yeah. Office. And so. empower your leaders. Um, I think empowering your leaders in your park to identify the things that are the strengths in your staff is like super important. Uh, like I know, so as, as I did the, the marketing, a lot of the marketing events at Kennedy. So I would have to do something like, you know, during the summer, we would have summer promotions or holiday time. I did, you know, a holiday event and I would, you know, we would have volunteers. So, and I would hand pick as much as I could 
who I put on different areas because I knew this person was really great at being direct and like keeping people in line. And this person was really fantastic at, you know, if somebody was upset or this person was really cheery and kept people patient or this person follows directions incredibly, you know, and, and knowing, you know, don't put somebody who's, you know, dog is sick and is distracted and in a bad mood as a greeter. Mm -hmm. You know, there's somebody else who, you know, you can say like, Hey, I know you like being a cashier, but I'll pay the same rate as cashier to go be the greeter today. Cause Sally is having a rough day. Like, and that's okay. So I do think that the human element is so important for yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so at least while you were with IAPA, I know you said it was it was largely during the pandemic, but curious, uh, you, were, you were overseeing the FEC constituency. Mm-hmm. So you really were, were talking to a lot of people, a lot of operators within the industry. Uh, curious as far as, uh, and maybe the answer is obvious because it was during the pandemic, a lot of it was, but as far as the biggest challenges that, you know, that owners and operators were facing during that, uh, during that time while you were there. Yeah. Um, believe it or not, it's not as one dimensional during the pandemic as people would think, because a lot of the, you know, everybody's experience was so drastically different based on what country you lived in, what state you lived in, what town you lived in, um, whether you were part of a group, a chain, um, whether you had a landlord that was kind or not kind, you know, the experiences were just so vastly different. So one of the things, you know, from my perspective, that was a big challenge was having to have an individualistic approach to a large group of people, um, because it, the answer wasn't the same for everyone. So, um, I think the challenge was, um, from like a 2020 in retro perspective is I think keeping calm and coming together. And I think it's making sure we don't make the same mistake again now, but back then I think it was, I think a lot of people felt like an Island, especially in the FEC world for the independent people. So anything that we all could do as an industry to have, you know, zoom calls, which I know we're kind of fatigued on in some ways these days, but like getting on those and having chats and just talking about, Oh, my landlord, changed his mind. Now he wants rent or, and then we could talk about ways that you could counter that or, you know, just kind of coming together. So the camaraderie was the solution. Um, but the isolation was probably the problem. Um, so I'd say that was one of the biggest problems. Um, and I think the fact that we were all going through the same thing, but under different circumstances. So that was probably one of the biggest challenges as a person who was supposed to help everyone. So, um, there wasn't really one answer. It's not like we could just say like, oh, power on and off, restart the computer. That wasn't the answer for everyone. So I think where you were based was a big part of it. How was that for you then specifically of knowing that, of realizing, hey, there's this whole suite of issues depending on so many variable circumstances and you were living it in real time. It's not like, you know, it's not like you had any like background or context. It was like, it was all happening in in the moment to everyone individually, yet people would look to you for, you know, for guidance and, you know, and for the answers. Um, I found myself like as, as somebody who their entire life has been identified as like an absolute extroverted golden retriever, 
optimistic, sunshiny human their whole life. Like I, the fabric of who I am is forever changed from that period of time, because I think as much as I was that person, I think I had to pour out so much. Um, and not, this isn't therapy obviously, but I spent so much time reaching out to the advocacy team, other organizations, um, any operator that I knew might have more insight. Um, I, you know, any of the consultants in the industry that did feasibility studies understood financial stuff, you know, policy builders, politicians, like I spent all my time trying to deeply understand as much as I could so that when I did speak to someone, I wasn't trying to be the expert of it all. I was never going to be, but I could at least hear them. And if they were looking for solutions, point them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And I think it was the biggest lesson to learn that I, I didn't always have to have the right thing to say back um, because so many people had different opinions at the time and everybody was living such unique experiences at the time that I got really good or I tried to get really good at that time of just like hearing people and saying like, I hear you and I appreciate what you're going through. And you know, I'm here to help you if that's what you're looking for, or I'm here to listen to you if that's what you're looking for. So it's like that lesson was learned in a big way. And it it really taught me, um, it taught me to really rely on certain resources and just continue to learn and understand. And it definitely, it definitely gave me thicker skin for sure. So uh, it was, it was definitely, you know, looking to rely on people around you as well was big. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we only have, we have a few minutes left here. We've got a, a couple more questions to, uh, yeah, to get yeah. this time is, is flying by. Uh, friction in the industry. We know we, we love talking about friction on the podcast yeah. here. What do you see as being the biggest friction point facing the guest experience? Um, I think lack of uniformity sometimes. And I think uh, like you think about the QR code before the pandemic, the QR code now, the QR code is like no longer a point of friction. It was a couple of years ago. Um, I think, I think expectations being met is a big point of friction. And I think the variance in experience and not knowing what you're getting into might be a big thing. Like I know I can go, uh, you know, the level of what services and experiences provided varies, I think so strongly. Um, and I just think, I just think um, the unpredictability of people is probably the biggest thing. You know, I don't know if it's actually happening more, like if guests are more, are, are acting out more and staff are acting out more now than they ever were, or if we're just seeing it more because we have social media and everybody has a high-res video camera in their hand. So um, I think that understanding guest recovery and anticipating people's needs is probably the biggest thing we should work on to minimize that, that expectation and reality not being met. So I'd yeah. say that that's probably the biggest thing. So however you can manage that and minimize that is probably the most important. And the thing about anticipating guests' needs, it's, it's where you just need to recognize that guests, they don't know what they don't know. And so they might not 
think of the right question to ask. They might ask like the completely wrong question. So it's about really having that awareness. And sometimes it's saying, you know, having common sense on behalf of the guest who's walking into an unfamiliar environment. Uh, and then that reduces the chance of that, like you said, that guest recovery, that, you know, that service recovery that you need, yeah. need to do. But you got to be prepared that for that just as well. When the guests yeah. aren't anticipated, the expectation yeah. is not aligned with the experience that with proper service recovery, you can get them back over to the other side, just as if you yeah. had anticipated their needs from the beginning. So, yeah, I think golden rule, like golden rule times a thousand, like if, you know, and if for people who don't know golden rule, but like do unto others as you wish to be done to you. And I think that your staff should experience your facility as a guest, like holistically, yeah. um, even if there's a cost to it for you, because you know, I, I went duck pin bowling with my family a couple, like a month ago, and um, they were having some issues with the machine and it kept resetting and you pay by the hour. And just because I am who I am and I work on the side that I work, I clocked, it was almost 20 minutes of time for them to fix our lane throughout that time. And they didn't do anything. Ooh. They didn't give us more time. They didn't offer like, oh, does everybody want like, you know, does anybody want to soda, like there wasn't any kind of recovery. Um, and we didn't leave mad, but we did leave feeling cheated. Right. And, yeah. and the girl working the counter was awesome. She was so kind and wonderful, but it just didn't dawn on her that a third of our time was not usable. Right. So I think had she probably been a guest and experienced some challenges and thought from that perspective or been empowered from that perspective, um, I think she might've been like, I'm so sorry that a third of your time or, you know, cause it, I know it shows on their end that that much time was inactive on the lane. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess if you have those tools, like if you have, cause I know the software that they use, it shows how much of our time was inactive and it was over 20 minutes. So for her to see over 20 minutes of inactive time, what value does that venue have in paying for a software that has that tool and not training their employees to use it? Right. To then give a better experience to the guest. Yeah. And they then information they angry guests, you know, so it kind of helps everyone really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing that story. I mean, it's, it sounds like common sense, but when it happens in the moment mm -hmm. and in a fast-paced environment, a thousand things are going on. We need to like reset. We need to think that of like, yeah, oh, this group paid for one hour. They were given 40 minutes. Yeah. Let's compensate for their time. Let's make up for that. Let's, let's yeah. do something, you know, let's, let's give them back their 20 minutes. And like you said, refresh their sodas, whatever it is, because now there's, there's the time and the inconvenience of them having to wait for it to be fixed. Yeah. And you know, honestly, 10, a 10% off coupon, which is still less, you know, doesn't meet yeah. the value for like my brother to take my niece and nephew back to go yeah. try something else. Um, luckily I know the owner of the location and I, I did reach out to them and had like a good conversation and, it was like this click. She's like, of course I would have done that. And I was yeah. like, yeah, but if your staff doesn't know that they can do that. And she's like, that's a good point. And I, you know, reassured her how wonderful the staff was just that little point. That's not, we, it's common sense for us, but it's second nature for some people and some people it's not. Yeah. So just anticipating the needs is, is important. And it all comes down to that frontline team member who's able yeah. to do that in the moment. So yeah, for sure.
Well, at least we're starting to wind this down here, but I do have one final question for you. And that is, how would you sum up your guest experience philosophy in one sentence? Yeah, I mean, I kind of low-key previewed it before, but I think golden rule is like it. Um, I think you have to always just think about the experience of the guest from the everyone's experience from a different lens. So, you know, just treat others how you want to be treated. And I think that's really important. Um, and then I think um, empowerment is huge. So knowledge is power and empowering your employees is valuable. Like they don't need to know nuances, but they need to know enough to feel confident in facing the guest. But in a small little tiny package of wonderment, I just say golden rule and just treat others how you want to be treated. Excellent. Well yeah. said and a great note to end on as well. So Elise, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. I really appreciate it. Always great to chat with you. For everyone out there who's watching and listening, if you enjoyed this interview, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. It'll help other people find us. And until next time, we'll see you right here on the Guest Experience Show.